Hello everybody and welcome to the Tuesday Toolbox meeting of Adult Children of Alcoholics in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. My name is Anne. I'm a Tuesday Toolbox member and an adult child. We're recording our speakers every week because we're hoping others will benefit from hearing these stories from our members. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. Our email address is TuesdayToolboxACA at gmail.com. Adult Children of Alcoholics is a 12-step program of recovery for people who grew up in an alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional home. If you'd like to find a meeting in your area, go to adultchildren.org and click on Find a Meeting. Since it's the end of the year, I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners around the world who wrote to share their thoughts. It's been so fun to hear from you. And a big shout out to our two speaker finders at Tuesday Toolbox, Jess and Carmen, who wrangled all the folks you heard on the podcast these last 12 months. This week, we're hearing from our friend Liz, who spoke about reaching out to others and asking for help. Please enjoy and happy holidays. Thank you, everyone. Um, I have to leave early, so after my share, you know, I'm not going to stay around for the whole meeting. Just want to give you a heads up because I know people tend to respond to what the qualifier says. So I'm not going to get to hear that. <laughs> anyway, um, it's great to be here. Um, oh, I love the solution. Um, hearing that was somehow like really powerful this evening. So I picked a passage from the Red Book on page 212, and it's about three minutes, okay? So it's called The Value of Healthy Pain. Becoming willing to have a higher power remove our defects of character can range from being painless to moments of discomfort to agony. Some character defects, such as gossiping and judgmentalness, can be stopped painlessly. In ACA, we learn to focus on ourselves, which cures a lot of gossip and the judging of others. We face moments of discomfort and emerging pain with our ACA support group and a sponsor or counselor. Adult children dread emotional pain because we rarely had anyone to stand with us as we experienced anguish as children. Growing up in a dysfunctional home, we often endured unspeakable suffering and silence. We became hypervigilant to, to emotional pain and sought addiction, work, sex, or drugs to stay, quote, pain-free. Many of us have writhed on the floor with codependent pain. However, pain is different in ACA. We now have friends and a higher power to rely on. We are not alone. Our experience reveals that there is value in emotional pain. With support and with gentleness, we can find our healthy pain and its healing release just as we reclaimed our tears. Before we arrived at ACA, our tears seemed unproductive, so many of us stopped crying. Through step work or counseling, we reclaim our tears and their value. Emotional pain is a similar gift. Many of us had a preview of this pain in step one or step four as we detailed the abuse of our lives or the abuse we visited upon others. We realized that we were not alone or unique in our pain. We realize that the pain we will feel in ACA is different than the unproductive pain of growing up in a family wrought with abandonment. In our homes, we learn to seek unhealthy pain that served no real solution and which fed our addictiveness. With the support of ACA, we experience healthy pain and find release. 
We have seen adult children struggle in isolation and sorrow when such a solo struggle is not necessary. The emotional pain will end, but it can be prolonged if we fail to ask for help. During these times, we muster all the humility we can and ask someone we trust to listen to us. We become willing to share our fears and doubts about ourselves with another person. We find that ACA members really will help out. We find out that emotional pain can be the gateway to a closer connection with God as we understand God. We learn that the denouement of pain, the winding down of pain, is often where the integration of survival traits occur. After making it through, we feel changed. We embrace the inner strength we have always had, and we see emotional pain in a new light. We see it as one instrument which can temper our diamond-hard survival traits. By facing our pain, we learn that we really are not alone in our suffering. When we find ourselves in this kind of pain in step six, we stay close to meetings and keep our faces turned toward God as we understand God. So, um, I mean, there's a lot in this, but I guess the tool that I want to pull out of this reading that is really powerful for me is um, reaching out to others. Um, meetings, of course, but also the phone and text and the, the part about um, mustering the humility to ask someone to listen to us, it feels really big for me as someone who grew up um, learning not to ask for help or, you know, cultivating that kind of um, survival trait, I suppose, um, to not ask for help, to not want to bother people, to not want to burden anyone. Um, I came into Al-Anon seven years ago and then this program about four years ago and um, it's radically changed my life in so many different ways. Um, but I think, not but, but something that has been like a core um, component of that life change for me has been this transition from like being in excruciating emotional pain for different reasons and reaching out to friends and then connecting with them, sharing and then feeling guilty. Um, or like if I didn't hear from them the next day, I'd be like, oh, I, sh I told, I overshared and it was too much for them. So now they're rejecting me. Like there was so much worry and shame around um, sharing pain and my emotional experiences in my life, you know, going through a divorce, all of this painful stuff. Like I just got to the point where I was isolating because I was feeling guilty about um, sharing my pain, but I desperately needed help. So then going into the rooms and slowly but surely understanding that my problems were valid and that I could um, be heard and that this whole situation was set up for people, no matter how shy or outgoing you are, to just feel safe and to feel heard um, and to feel the transformative experience 
that that, that alone can be, but also um, like to not feel shame about asking for help or for someone to listen or to not feel guilty about, oh, I have a lot that I need to just share right now and to not feel like, oh, now it's the other person's turn. Like, that's not what this is, that, that's not what we do. I mean, we can, yes, we can, oh, you know, you get on the phone and you need to share something and maybe you have the space to ask the other person what's up, what's going on for them. But on the other hand, there's that freedom there to just be heard you know and so i just i find that to be a really powerful and transformative um tool for me just the the ability to be heard by others who i trust and to feel safe and to not feel shame around my problems my pain um so just to i guess give a little backstory um you know, I thought about how much can I possibly say, uh, you know, life is long. <laughs> and um, I mean, in this program, we're looking at a lot of it is childhood stuff. And so I can say about my childhood that my parents split up when I was um, four. And my memory says they announced they were separating on Christmas Day while we were all sitting around the fire. I, I'm not, I don't think that actually happened, but that's what I remember. I have a lot of trauma-induced amnesia and, you know, the memory is a strange thing. Anyway, my parents split up and what ensued after that was a very difficult, um, I'd say eight years, five to eight years of my parents really, um, being actively um, mean to each other from close distance and far distance and subjecting me and my two brothers to it. And also, um, I mean, just to say about alcoholism, my father was an alcoholic. He was never named as such. He never saw that he had a problem. My uncle was, my grandfather was, um, so this is on my dad's side. And I think my great-grandfather on my dad's side actually committed suicide. Um, I have very little memory of like my family tree, even though I've done it in this program. I hate doing it actually because it pulls up all this shame for me around that I, you know, there's part of me that kind of blocked out the whatever or like didn't exercise the muscle that's supposed to care about the extended family like i just let it you know atrophy i just i don't i i guess when i was a kid there was so much happening and so much loss and pain that i started to like shut down my interest in family period because the chaos that was swirling around me that i felt like was not my problem. I was like, who are these people and why are they making my life hard? Why are they so fucked up? And like, I'm just a kid and I'm fine and I'm getting good grades and I'm good at art and everything's, but these people around me are really fucking things up. <laughs> and I, that's, I mean, for me, I feel like that's when the kind of victimhood, 
like my perception of myself as a victim really like calcified like oh i'm at the mercy of this family and it's just going to get worse and worse um so i think i, I early i disassociated um, my mother as a single parent took me and my brothers to visit her other relatives like she had a her mother died when she was 14. Her father died when she was 21. So my mother had no parents by the time she was a mom to me and um, was in some ways kind of like a kid, like her inner kid was really big. And I, I, I never could see that until doing this kind of work. Um, I remember like being in the car with my mom and my brothers and she she had so much anxiety about so many things because my dad left her he left her kind of in like moved far away and left her with three kids and went and hooked up with this other woman and you know he 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 broke her heart really and um i remember like being in the car with her and she, we'd get stuck in traffic somewhere and she would just fucking lose it like a meltdown and um, there were so many moments with her where I witnessed her unraveling over and over again to the point that, um, I mean, part of me felt like my mother's caretaker and wanting to protect her. Like she started dating all these guys. She had what I felt was very poor taste in men. She would bring these guys home and I would be really aggressive with them. I had, I didn't, I didn't want them to be with her. Um, but then on the other hand, I was like resentful of her for, um, you know, leaning on me so much. Um, anyway, so I, I grew up in this, you know, f great. I just grew up in what felt like a lot of turmoil. Um, some really big things happened, like my brother, I, I was 12, my brother, middle brother was 14, my older brother was 16. My middle brother was very um, difficult and had a lot of anger and probably some kind of chemical imbalance that these days would be, he'd have medicine for, but it was the 70s. And he, or early 80s, he was off the rails. Both of my brothers were totally off the rails in different ways. The divorce was very hard on them. And he ended up committing suicide in this kind of accidental situation. But um, he died when he was 14 and it was incredibly devastating. Um, but I was so disassociated and numbed out at this, that point and resented him so much for the kind of challenges that he put in front of my mom and he was violent with my mom. So I, like used to wish that he would die. So when he did, I was kind of like relieved. Um, and then just to get closer to wrapping it up and jump several years ahead, my other brother after that became, uh, you know, he really was devastated by losing his brother and became an addict and alcoholic and drug addict. He dropped out of high school, middle of senior year, and just really kind of went downhill. Um, and then he um, became a heroin addict and then eventually after going to rehab many times 
um, had a relapse and OD'd and died when he was 36 and I was 31. That was 2001. So it's always weird when people ask me if I have siblings because I did and I don't have like an only child personality. Um, but it's one of those things that is a big deal. It's like, oh, I'm, I've, I've accepted these losses. You know, I'm so, I'm so used to them. Um, but, you know, they continue to, I don't know. I mean, death is haunting, I think, in different ways. When you lose people, there's, if, it, if you weren't ready for it, there's always some part of it that kind of feels haunting. Um, so, I don't know, going back to, I guess, the tools um, and being here in program and where I'm at now, uh, seven's a lucky number. I feel like I'm on really solid ground in a lot of ways um, and honored to be able to share my recovery. Um, I'm not doing it perfectly at all. I have a fellow travelers group and um, I've been working the steps with these two people for, <laughs> I guess, it could be three, maybe three plus years now, and we're still on step five. Um, so it's kind of amazing that it's taking this long, but it works for us. And that fellow travelers group is, has been the most solid and regular thing that I've ever done in program. Um, I don't have a sponsor in any program and, you know, the, uh, that core group has been my lifeline, really, that and some key friends in this fellowship, um, really meaningful to me and um, I really feel like I can count on them always. Um, I don't, are you keeping time? How much time do I have left? Zero. Zero? Oh. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>